This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. Guys, just before we get started, if you're loving the podcast, can you please go leave us a five-star review on Spotify and please make sure that you subscribe on whatever channel that you listen to us on. It helps us out dramatically. Some of the biggest growth moments have come through the most challenging times. Through those times come extreme stress and in the moment it can be quite quite painful. Growth hurts, right? <laughs> That's the truth if I've ever heard it. But staying stagnant can hurt more. Ash, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Carl. Pleasure to be here. Um, you've been on an in- interesting journey, you know, um, especially in the last six months. Uh, one that you know I'm excited to, to chat to you about. But I think what excites me the most, we were chatting obviously before, and I was saying that there's amazing people that you know um, you might not. They're, they're not going to be the face of the brand, or they're not necessarily going to be the person you see on social media. Um, but I think there's a lot of value in, in people, their journey, um, their careers, and, and obviously the lessons that you learn along the way, especially going through some of the experiences that you've been through. So that's, that's definitely something I'm really excited today to, to have a chat about. Um, but what I might do is I'll let you give you a bit of an introduction to yourself and, and then we can dive into your journey and, and I guess how you've gotten to the, the current point uh, in your career and some of the stories that go along with it. Perfect. Um, thanks for having me on the podcast. Really, really appreciate it. Um, so my name's Ash Sampson. I'm the general manager of Reebok in Australia and New Zealand. I've actually been working with the Reebok brand for close to four years now um, in various roles. And as you mentioned, the last six months has been very, very interesting. Um, I can dive into the, the situation in a little bit more detail later on, but uh, quite recently, the I guess the ownership of the Reebok brand has changed hands, and um, the process around the, the handover and the transition, and now the opportunities that we we see as a Reebok brand in this marketplace are are astounding. Yeah, um, I think I'm excited to dive into that because Reebok being such a, I mean, it's been a brand that's been so successful for a very long period of time, um, and and it's a you know it's it's a uh, I mean, just the the power that comes with a brand like that, um, and, and more importantly, with great power comes great responsibility. That quote, which I'm excited to, to dive into you, but I'd also love to just dive into potentially the early days, you know, of your career and where did you start? You know, um, did you study? You know, how did you kind of get to this kind of period of time where you've been, um, you know, put in charge of of and of the next you know phase of development um, of, of a brand within a particular you know uh, sector. That's a good question, and it definitely didn't happen overnight. <laughs> Look, I've been in this industry, and when I say this industry, it is sportswear, streetwear, apparel, footwear, for about twenty years. Now, when I finished school, I didn't dive straight into my career. I actually went travelling. And like a lot of Australians, I went to London, right? I just thought it was the thing that I needed to do. Uh, While I was in London, I got a job at Urban Outfitters. And through that job, I actually started to develop a real keen interest in fashion and sneakers. Uh, I was literally obsessed. Mm. And when I came back to Australia, there was one brand that really stood out to me. 
and just spoke to me. And like the brands that I was obsessed with in London, uh, this one brand I just couldn't get enough of, and that brand was Mooks. Mooks. Now, Mooks, that's right. So Mooks today is very different to what it was back then, but back then in 2003, Mooks was one of the coolest streetwear labels in Australia, and they had a number of retail stores around Melbourne, and I used to just go down to the Chapel Street store and just hang out in the store. I just really wanted to be a part of this brand. And um, eventually, uh, a job offer or opportunity came up. Your old school A4 paper in the window, casual sales assistant wanted. So I applied for that job and I got it. And I was stoked. I was a part of this brand that I was you know, looking at and wanting to be a part of for so long. Now, at the time, Globe International owned Mooks as a brand, as well as a number of other brands, such as M111, which you don't really see these days, Mossimo, Stussy, Mossimo. Fresh Jive. I was a big Mossimo kid. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So they had this, Globe had this house of brands, but the retail stores of those brands were actually operated by the Just Group. Um, so I joined Mooks as a Just Group employee. Now, about a year later, the, um, the license agreement with the Just Group and Globe expired and Globe decided they wanted to take the operations of their retail stores in-house. So that exposed me to my first merger mm -hmm. and there's been four in my career, Wow! Right, which is really interesting. Now, when we were told about the, the merger that was about to happen, the, uh, the Just Group management got all of the retail team into a room, they sat us all down, and there was this real kind of level of anxiety, and there was this tension in the room, and they were delivering this news, which in their eyes was just this terrible outcome. So we were all sitting around and, you know, reading the body language of the people around me. It was like doomsday was about to happen. Mm-hmm. And they told us that the, the company or the, the retail element of the, the brand that we were working for was going to be transferred to Globe International. Now, I was looking around the room and there was panic on the faces around me. But at the time, I was a skateboarder and they were basically telling me that I was no longer going to be working for this, this company that I'd been working for for, for 12 months and that I was going to work for the leading skateboard company in the country. So it seemed pretty exciting to me, um, but what actually changed the game was when we first went to the Globe head office. So Globe used to have this head office in Lorimer Street in Port Melbourne. And as soon as I turned up to the site, there was a skateboard park in the car park, massive half pipe, big concrete, fun boxes, rails. I honestly couldn't believe what I was seeing. We went inside and there were people skateboarding up and down the corridors. Now, from a health and safety perspective, you, would, <laughs> yeah, you yeah, wouldn't yeah. see that these days. But it was basically, I was just walking into my dream company. The culture was amazing. The people were awesome. Leadership was great. And um, all of a sudden, I was working in my favorite brand for a company that just could not suit me any better. So I 
put my head down, strong work ethic, put my hand up for every opportunity that I could. And within about 12 months, I was managing the flagship MOOCs store, which was based in QV in Melbourne. It's actually now a massive hype DC store. Mm-hmm. And after MOOCs, it actually became General Pants. So it's changed, um, it's changed over the time. Um, so working as a manager in retail for a couple of years, um, and then I just got hungry for more. I actually wanted to be more embedded into the company that I was working for. So I made it pretty clear that I was looking for opportunities to to learn and grow and and take on something else. And from that point, an unexpected door into the corporate world opened up. Just before we go into that, I think we'll come back, but I wanted to ask you, I feel there's obviously two sides to every argument in a sense and you know some people come on here and we have have their the conversation they're they're wanting to have is you know do what you're good at and and just stick to that even if you don't like it that much okay you know and and i i don't know if i'm i i think i think you can kind of be good at something and still really love what you do and and so on but it sounds to me like a big part of the early days in your journey was the fact that you were really passionate about the places you were working in and, and more importantly, you were really interested uh, in, 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 in um, you know, in the brands that you were working for and they were kind of a, a, a representation of the things you were interested in life as well and, and that would have made you curious. How much of that do you think played a, a pretty important role in your development and more importantly, what you just mentioned was accelerated development. So it wasn't... You know, it wasn't, you know, a 10-year span and then you got the opportunity. It was, there was constant opportunities, which was probably a testament to your work ethic and what you were doing at the time. Yeah, I think the way I'll answer that question is from the time I started my career, even before the time I started my career in this country, I told you I was in London and I went to work at Urban Outfitters and there was a reason for that. I'd pick out something that resonated so much with me and just made the decision, I have to work there. So with my career, even up until now, every brand that I've worked for, every business that I've worked for, every leader that I've worked for has been very deliberate. And I've set intentions around wanting to work in that space for that brand, for that leader. So yes, the work ethic is is critical and you're not really going to get anywhere unless you really go that extra mile. But the, um, the passion absolutely needs to be there. And that's something that has been consistent throughout my career. So you, so you knew what you were doing. The, like, is that what you're, you're saying is in, in the t- terms of, you know, because I understand what you're saying is deliberately going, it's almost like playing chess in a sense. Like you know what you're doing and you're really deliberately going after certain roles and brands and almost visualizing yourself being in these kind of higher positions and, and, and maneuvering your way to do it and your actions end up just following? Yeah, a little bit. I don't think three moves ahead. So it's not like a chess game where you're strategizing like the long game. Generally, look, maybe one, maybe two moves ahead. But yeah, absolutely. Mm. Awesome. We'll continue. The, I just <laughs> thought that was a really good kind of... Uh, I, think, I think a lot of people struggle with that. Okay. You know, like getting into areas that they're passionate about, you know, and, or more importantly, thinking that maybe it's a belief system thing where it's like, oh, uh, you know, 
you can't enjoy what you do, you know, potentially. Um, I know for me, that's my, my guiding star. That's why we're sitting here right now podcasting. You know, you can, you can make do with anything as long as you're passionate about it, is my opinion. But I know a lot of people struggle with it. Look, I agree. And probably taking what you said and running with it a little bit, um, there's probably an area of that that I did struggle with. So music for me as a side hustle or a side interest was something that I was incredibly passionate about. But I never had the confidence to actually run with that as a creative pursuit, as a someone that would work for myself and chasing a career in that space. So I guess the way my career has played out with fashion and lifestyle and sneakers, it's almost applying that same theory. It's looking at something as a passion and saying, how do I go after that in something, probably in an industry and an environment that's a little bit more structured? Yeah, it's so interesting. The word confidence was something I was going to say before, but I didn't know how to work it in. But I'm glad you said it because I think that's the the piece that you that's the second piece that you need to have in order to really chase it. Right? It's like you might be passionate. It's a, you know I could think about pa- it's the same with me like football. Like I really do love football. It's a passion of mine. I love going to the football on the weekends. I love in my own mind I'll strategize and I'll you know create theories and stuff but the confidence to really go after that as a career it just isn't there for me um so i think that's really awesome so if you can kind of find something you're passionate about that you have the confidence to chase and and like you said think those one or two moves ahead i think that's that's a really good point yeah like when i was looking at music as a career like some people in that industry and in other industries as well we won't just stick to music can be incredibly successful, right? And they are absolutely living their dream. And if you put them in the chair that I'm sitting now and saying, give me advice for people that are looking to do what you're doing, they'd probably say something like, follow your passion, follow your dreams. But sometimes going down that path would come with a lot of sacrifice and a lot of risk. And I guess in those early stages when I was starting to build my career before starting to get a lot of momentum, I probably was a little bit risk averse, to be honest. So just following something that I felt I had a little bit more security in. Mm. I love that. I love that. Okay, so we're back to the the storyline now. And so you had your first kind of break in the corporate world. Yeah, so like I said, an unexpected door opened. Yeah. Um, I was working for Globe and they had a number of brands. Mossimo was one of those brands. And Mossimo actually had a really big presence in the Maya store network. Now, because of the size of the business, um, Maya as an organisation um, had roles within their buying environment with the incredibly glamorous title of supplier implant. They actually try not to use that word because it doesn't sound that great. Yeah, I was thinking that was that was the actual title of the role, and effectively, what that role is is a company that does a certain level of business with Maya would actually implant a person paid for by that organisation into their buying office, and the role that they would fulfil would be um, sales analysis, sample management, product maintenance running reports, and just generally being a person within that team that did a lot of the heavy lifting for that particular brand. Mm. 
Now, pretty entry level, very administrational, but what I was exposed to in a buying office environment, some of the things I learned will stick with me t- till today, you know, and that was 15 years ago. What were some of those things? Like- Look, before I started in that role, I probably had never really been exposed to an Excel spreadsheet, right? And then all of a sudden, I am in systems and I'm running reports and I'm actually learning how to interpret data and then report that data back to a senior leadership hierarchy. So some of the things that I was exposed to back then is learning the language of the corporate executive. Okay, so also learning a little bit of executive presence. When I had to report these numbers back to to the hierarchy, I guess when I first started, I was terrible at it. But as soon as you learn the things that are required to actually shine in that space and that language that you learn, there's a certain vernacular that you pick up in that environment. And like I said, at that time when I was young, as I was a skater and I was coming into this environment, it was completely new for me. But I learned pretty quickly what you needed to know to, to excel in that space. And that's what I picked up. Yeah, it's interesting. I think you're right when you get exposed to a new system, you know, and, and uh, that system demands a higher level of thinking, communication, um, cre- you know, creativity as well. Um, and then also people, you know, like uh, I'm pretty lucky that I get to sit in front of some pretty amazing people uh, and constantly learning how to communicate is something that I'm still working on. But, you know, it's something that is even myself is is, is kind of it's a new exposure for me, you know. So um, and I find you get the same thing out of sales just in general, you know, like if you've cold called ever before, like understanding that, you know, Cold calling is, is almost, a, it's a similar thing. Like you're exposing yourself to um, constant uh, bouts of failure, you know, like a rejection. Um, and you have to learn from that in order to be successful of it. So I think it's, it's a great point of, um, I mean, and I think it, it also talks to the fact that you've got to really chase opportunity because that, op- you know, it, it, it's difficult and, and sometimes you... You learn a lot about yourself as well in those moments, but I, I really love that. So probably something else that I was exposed to at that time was that whole relationship between, in the fashion world, around buying product, selling product, the journey from, I guess, from concept at a brand level to the consumer and the pathway that product takes. So at a brand level, from a Mossimo perspective, we would start that journey in the showroom and I'd be part of those showings. So the brand would sell, show the product to the Maya buying team. The Maya buying team would actually build assortment plans and then they would allocate that product to their stores and then you'd watch that product hit the shop floor. You'd see how the consumer was responding to it. You'd have your best sellers, your worst sellers, and then there'd be a review. So I was exposed to that process multiple times over about a three-year period. So doing that over and over and over again, I actually started to pick up the process. So then that opened up an opportunity for me when a sales position came up within the globe environment, okay? Mm. Now that sales position was actually selling to Maya. So because I'd been part of that process so much and I'd learned from, at that point, 
my first true mentor, who was the one that was recruiting for the position, I kind of slotted into that position quite well. Definitely very green, definitely a lot to learn. But moving from a buying office environment into a, a sales type role, I learnt the craft of key account management, which was um, played a, a really big role in my journey. Amazing. And so from that point, are we like, you know, obviously what you've gone through um, in the last 12 months has obviously been uh, taking the, you know, the, the keys to a, you know, a, one of the world's biggest brands. Um, are we close to that yet in terms of, you know, your development? Is there, is there stuff in between? Yeah, I think the where we're at right now, I think it's important to note that um, at the time I was working for Globe. Now, this is when the second merger came up. So Pacific Brands at yep. the time um, needed a portfolio of brands that were probably younger and cooler than the, the brands that they currently had within their mix. Um, so they actually came in and they bought the brands that I mentioned before off Globe International. And the, the transfer of those brands and employment and everyone moved across to Pacific Brands. Now, when they took that on, they actually needed a name for this portfolio. And that name became Brand Collective. Mm -hmm. And fast forwarding a little bit down the track, that's, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, who okay. I'm, that's actually who I'm working for now. But um, so I continued down that sales path probably for about another year. And then my love of sneakers led me to Adidas. Um, I spent sort of the last nine years with Adidas and my time in that organization was amazing and learnt so much, worked with some amazing mentors, colleagues, learnt so much about business, commercial acumen, executive presence, leadership. Uh, and really that last nine years has, has shaped who I am today. Now within that nine years, first six years was in some senior sales positions, firstly in the sporting landscape, then moving into sort of fashion and lifestyle. And then the last three years, I was very lucky to have an opportunity to work on the Reebok brand as a, um, the merchandise and brand operations lead. Now a lot of people might not know it, but Adidas was the owner globally of Reebok since 2005. Uh, and probably about two years ago, they made the decision to divest from the brand to focus purely on Adidas without distraction, which made a lot of sense. Made a lot of sense for Adidas and it also made a lot of sense for Reebok. Now, they went through quite a lengthy process of finding a buyer for the brand, which was interesting. We just waited and watched from the sidelines and that buyer ended up becoming Authentic Brands Group. So Authentic Brands Group, or ABG for short, uh, based in New York, and they are a, a house of multiple brands, entertainment. They own brands like Juicy Couture. Um, they've got Shaquille O'Neal as one of their living legends, Greg Norman, David Beckham, Sports Illustrated. So um, that was really interesting and really good to be a part of that. Now, their model is they own brands and licenses, but they don't actually operate those brands. So what they need to do is within each marketplace, they need to find what's called an operating partner, right? Or a licensee. 
and then they'll license the brand out to that partner and then that partner will effectively be the, the one that runs the brand in the market. Now, the keys locally, globally actually, changed hands at the end of February and the keys locally changed hands at the end of April and we were actually one of the first markets globally to move from Adidas Group Control to the new partner. Now, the full circle part of this story is that the operating partner that actually got the rights to, to operate Reebok in the local market was Brand Collective. So it's a bit of a homecoming, really. So it was the company that I was working for before I joined Adidas, and um, here we are. It's, I mean, for the people listening, it's, it's crazy to get a behind-the-scenes look, in my opinion, of what actually goes on. And, and there is big business going on. If you're not in that world, I think it's a, definitely an eye-opener. But, I mean, for you, it's, um, you know, this is probably, I mean, I guess a question would be, you know, when you first, if we kind of, like, you listen to that story and obviously there's so much that goes into it and we just, you know, basically zoom through it in, in 20 minutes. But, yeah. I mean... If you were to, you know, give some advice to that, to that, you know, the, the younger version of yourself, and say, okay, would you, do you, did you ever imagine that you'd kind of be in the position you are right now? Look, the the long term vision absolutely was really? to be in a position like this, absolutely. So, I've always been someone that's really connected to brands. So as I mentioned, when I came back from travel, Mooks was that brand and I had to work for that brand. And I learned along the way the skill set required to take on new responsibilities, move into higher roles and learn about business. And some of the role models that I have worked for alongside uh, wanting to emulate throughout my journey have been in senior leadership positions. Mm. And I guess, for want of a better word, I've looked at those people and gone, I actually want to be that person. They do such an amazing job. They're inspiring. They're motivating. And they know so much about business. And um, at some point in time, I wanted to move into that kind of general management position. So it's happened probably a bit quicker than I thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's the way opportunities work. It is, right? isn't it? Sometimes you just don't see them coming. And I'm extremely grateful to be in this position yeah i mean it's definitely the truth you know usually opportunities come before you're ready and you kind of have to take them by both hands um all right so i think that the, the you know the part that i'm really interested to learn is is you've been a part of massive massive you know really successful brands and you are now in charge of a really successful brand and and the next phase that it's in how do brands grow right and and from a functional standpoint, you know, like what does that look like, you know, and, and what are some of your philosophies, you know, that you've built over time? I think there's obviously standard practice, but then I think what makes humans great is the fact that they can start to create their own philosophies and their own way of thinking around how brands grow. I'd love for a bit of insight into some of the lessons or some of your philosophies that you've learned, not only in the the long period of time that you've you know, had obviously building your career, but also the last six months has probably changed a few of those. You've learned so much. So I'd love to dive into, you know, some of those philosophies. Yeah, I guess from a philosophy perspective, you need to really stand out. You've got to go the extra mile. 
you've got to ensure that you maintain brand integrity right so brands grow through demand through heat through credibility and maintaining your position in those areas is is critical and sometimes it's not easy like it's an incredibly unpredictable marketplace that we're in and mm. momentum is never linear so things can be working incredibly well even the biggest brands in the market can have a long time in the sun and um, to use a sporting analogy it's all high fives and bum slaps but then very very quickly things can turn and you've got to make sure that you're you're maintaining integrity um, when you come up against those those circumstances so um when we talk about you talked about heat right I, I like that as a concept when you talk about heat what are you meaning like for, for from a brand perspective because there's obviously specifics there like what are the um how does a brand create heat you know and, and more importantly because a lot of the people that will be listening to this will be in a startup they'll either be in their first year of business or they're thinking about getting into business or they may be at the point where that three to four year mark uh, and they want to they're going from this kind of small brand to this next big phase of their business. And I think talking about how brands grow is, is, is really fascinating and interesting, but it's also really helpful f for that person. So f from, from your perspective, how, what, what creates that heat? What goes into fundamentally a brand? You talked about it being different, being differentiated, but more importantly, how do you stay differentiated and keep your integrity and hold your position you know, through the bumps. Look, if there was a very clear, specific formula to that, everyone would be doing it. Um, creating heat, you need to create demand with consumers. You need to, to create a connection to the consumer. And I guess from a, from a like a Reebok or a, a brand that, that plays in this space, you need to create excitement with what we would consider to be an, an influencer or an influential consumer. So if you think about the hierarchy of a, a triangle, at the very pointy end of that triangle is where that heat starts. So through sneakers, for instance, brands quite often will create something that's incredibly limited hard to get a hold of, very limited numbers. They'll create marketing around that product that targets a very pointy end, let's call them a sneakerhead consumer, and the, they'll distribute that in very specific places. Now, those products are generally designed to sell out within seconds, within minutes. Um, and the consumers that end up getting those products, wearing those products, that's when it starts to to filter down through the triangle to a, a, a wider, more mass market. So the kids that there are more of, let's call them a, like the more of like a fashion enthusiast, are looking up to these influencers and they want to be them, mm. right? So they might not be able to get their hands on the exact products that those people are wearing, but they actually want to be a part of the brand that they are wearing. So. That's when those consumers start seeking out the brand through the, the outlets that they have access to. And that's when you start looking at more of a multi-door environment. So through sneakers, you might have 
something available at one of the, the boutiques that only those sneakerheads would shop at, sell through in minutes, then that kid who's looking to that consumer might go and start shopping at a Hype DC or a Platypus Shoes or a Glue or one of the, the multiple Culture Kings, for instance. And that's really part of the formula around creating heat and demand. Guys, if you're loving this episode, make sure to take a screenshot, give us a tag or even take a photo if you're watching it. Help spread the love. It helps us out dramatically. Guys, I just want to say a massive shout out to our major sponsors, BizCover. We are getting some amazing guests on right now. We're traveling. We want to continue to travel and we want to continue to grow the podcast. And the reality is we can't do that without sponsors powering the podcast. And right now we have BizCover on. They're an amazing company uh, and they're powering the podcast. So we want to support them. But more importantly, business insurance. It's something that I had no idea I had to have in the early days. And I'm very lucky that I had someone tell me, you actually need to go get insured because things like professional indemnity insurance and public liability insurance, you just never know when you're gonna need those. Uh, and more importantly, it's really costly if something goes wrong or if you get sued or something of that nature and you don't have insurance uh, and, and that's what it protects you from. And you never know, one day it could save your business from going under or putting your business back in a time where you are growing in and you are making an impact. Uh, so BizCover, the link is in the show notes. Um, they will, you know, the, the, the great thing about it is there's no um, paperwork in, involved and you can get insured in less than 10 minutes. So the link is in the show notes, BizCover, go check them out, get yourself a good deal. Mm, I really love that. I think you talked about it in the beginning of we all purchase through association, right? Like, you know, um, you, you know, you, 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 and you mentioned it, it's who do we associate with? And then I think from a brand perspective, it's what is, what is that association? What do you want to represent? And then you kind of can connect with that influencer. I guess I, I really want to focus on that part of the, the triangle because I think the, the next part of the triangle we can definitely touch on. Um, but I think you mentioned, you know, kind of creating heat um, and and um, you talked about that demand piece of almost like you, you said there's limited availability, right? So there's um, – I'd love for you to go into that a little bit more, right, around – because I, I, I'm more thinking from like a smaller brand trying to get their, their uh, you know, like Shopify, you know, this kind of side of things. There's obviously – uh, they're trying to build their brand. They're trying to understand how do I penetrate a market um, and, and kind of, you know, do that side of things. Um, creating that artificial um, demand in the beginning and that association through brand. Um, I'd love for you to touch on that um, and, and potentially some examples even as well. Because I think that's a... That's how you start a business. That's how you build a brand in the beginning and, and so on. Okay. Look, speaking from experience, um, I'll probably go a little bit further back and use Adidas as a good example, right? Especially, I know that the Yeezy partnership has come to an end and it's been very mm, heavily... That's a really good example. Very, very yeah. heavily publicised and it's very different now to what it was. But when that partnership was first announced and the first products started coming through and hitting the market in very, very limited quantities, it was pandemonium. Look, I remember the very first release that was um, stocked at the Adidas original store in Emporium in Melbourne CBD. Uh, I went to the centre. Um, I couldn't get anywhere near the store. 
I had to go two levels up and look from the balcony down and there was literally thousands of people outside this store. It literally wasn't safe. It mm. was like this crowd that were just in a frenzy. But never seen anything like it. And for years, every time Adidas released one of those shoes, it was the same behaviour. Like sometimes there was a raffle, right? Maybe there was 100 pairs of shoes and people would line up just for the opportunity to get a raffle ticket for the opportunity to purchase that particular shoe. There were people camping outside stores for up to a week ahead of a release when the, the sales strategy was first come, first served. Like that type of behavior and the brand heat and excitement and the demand that that created was just out of this world. So in terms of a formula and a brand getting it right, you've got a, a polarizing asset mm. such as Kanye West. You've got uh, a very um, strategic plan around seeding product through Kanye and then you've got a go-to-market strategy that absolutely knocked it out of the park. So that's probably something on a, on a larger scale with a larger brand. Reebok's a much smaller brand to Adidas. And I guess the brand heat that we're creating at the moment, we actually have a lot of um, ongoing partnerships with much smaller brands within the streetwear space. There's a, a brand out of Montreal in Canada, uh, which is called Jound. The spelling of that is four J's and then O-U-N-D. Um, every time there's a release in partnership with Jound, we get very limited quantities, but it sells out within minutes, mm -hmm. wherever you put it. There's a, a, a streetwear label out of LA called Brain Dead. Every time we do a collaboration with Brain Dead, it sells out completely. Mm -hmm. um, tapping into nostalgia with the Reebok Pump collection. Like there was this absolute starvation of this product in the market and it just wasn't available everywhere. And the question that we kept on getting is that when's the pump coming back? When are you bringing back the pump? As soon as we did, tying it back to actual moments in basketball history back in the 90s, every time we launch that product, it sells out incredibly quickly. So there's a storytelling element to it. You need to be able to connect and engage with the consumers Right, and then from that, you just need to to blow it out. So, growing is actually engaging with more and more and more and more consumers. It's generating credibility, interest in your brand, which then leads to demand. And as that demand grows, your brand's going to grow as well. It sounds like there's a a relationship here between supply and demand, and then the third piece being connecting with consumers. So being able to understand that, I mean, what will make a brand grow is having more demand than there is supply, but more importantly, understanding how to continuously grow that demand. Um, and and that's, it sounds like there's a lot of really specific knobs to be turned at specific times and so on. But I think what you did there was just painted a, you gave us two really great examples of how you can create heat. And, and I think that's really great. Yep, definitely. Like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a formula that is tried very often and it doesn't always work. So when it's done right, it's incredibly powerful, but when it's not done right, it can, it can fall flat. Um, 
what are there any other kind of major lessons you know so obviously now you're going through um uh, you, you know uh, a process of um as we kind of talked about at the next phase of business what are some of the other lessons that you might be seeing now that you as an individual you know maybe it's a leadership lesson maybe it's a you're going through a totally new process that that um, you haven't been through before like what what are some of the other key lessons that you're learning or you have learned you know along the journey look i think and this might not be a direct business lesson well, maybe it is there's some synergies there um the lesson that I've probably been most aware of recently is the importance of having mentors in your life. Mm. So I've been incredibly lucky over my career, um, specifically through the last two companies being Adidas and then Brand Collective prior to joining Adidas. I had some, probably two people in my life that I could genuinely call mentors to the letter of the law. Now these people, both women actually, pushed me so far outside my comfort zone when they needed to, which was very uncomfortable at times and hated them for it at the time. But then coming out the other side, just like the growth that I got from that was, was amazing. They offered guidance, um, advice, shelter when I needed it. But most importantly, they were amazing at what they did. So being able to, to watch and listen and sort of monkey see, monkey do. I was a, a tutor and a student of, of these people. And what I've been exposed to in the last six months, I've had to, to really step up and I've learnt so much. But the preparation for taking on a role like that is the things that I've learnt from these amazing people. And through the, the challenges that we've experienced in the last six months of setting a team up from scratch, embedding and, and sort of setting up a brand with incredible health, but in a new company, new infrastructure, training a new team, building new relationships, maintaining strong partnerships that we've already got in the market, um, navigating through supply chain challenges both locally and sort of the flow-on effect from COVID supply chain. Everything that I've come across in the last six months and the way I've handled those challenges is a result of what I've learned from those mentors. So I've actually done a lot of reflection on that in the last few months. What would you say some of those kind of those uh, those lessons are, you know, that you can share with individuals right now that are trying to build brands themselves they're trying to expand they're in a startup you know because um, I feel like very much like you said although you are going through a period where you do have a really healthy and strong brand you you basically are a startup that's really trying to pave its way and, and you know building the next phase of that brand so what are some of those lessons that you are kind of seeing in real time you're like wow I'm lucky that I was exposed to that, you know, in, you know, through pre previous experience that you can apply right now and you're seeing working. Look, there, um, <clears throat> the, the lessons are probably less specific to the things that I've come across. So they're, they're more the things that have prepared me for what I've been exposed to in the last six months. So I guess 
the mentors that I've worked with over the journey, there's always things, little nuggets of wisdom that I've that I've taken that have almost become like mantras of mine. Mm-hmm. And one of them would be, and this I guess ties back to having resilience, is just the simple saying of stay the course. Right? So the challenges that I've faced, and I mentioned some of them just before, um, there's been times when it's been incredibly challenging. But just having that, that sort of mantra, so to speak, of stay the course, stay the course, stay the course, um, just when times feel really, really tough, you just know you're not going to chuck in the towel. Mm. Another one would be don't get comfortable. Right, which when I first heard that, I thought it was quite interesting. But unpacking it a little bit more, it makes a lot of sense. Like if you're ambitious or you're, you're, you've got a lot of responsibility, if you get comfortable and you find yourself slipping into cruise control, then that doesn't really set you up to drive results, to drive your business and your team and yourself forward. You could actually get... Um, a little bit stagnant and that's probably a major lesson yeah it's so interesting I find um, like I think it's it's a constant wave like you know you 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 I mean like the hero's journey in a sense like it's kind of like you go through these really tough periods where you know um, there's massive challenges it takes a lot for both you and the team to overcome them a lot of mental capability um, you know it can sometimes mean long hours it can sometimes mean this and and with no reward right so you know you can go through it's almost like a you could sometimes it can be a six-month period you know where it's just like oh wow we just need a win here we just need a win but both of those things I think a really great piece of advice like stay the course like in, in order the only way you're going to get through those periods of time is staying the course um, and then more importantly it's once you overcome those kind of that period of time it's it's almost like that's those comfortable periods it's like you need you probably need a little buffer there you know um, to kind of just all right cool we shook that off but then it's like eventually you need to tackle the next challenge and that's I mean it comes back to is that is that a big part of how brands grow? You know, that would be a question that I would have for you, obviously being a part of um, brands for many years and, and larger brands, like I, I would assume they don't have, you know, um, like they're, they're not any different. It's not as if they're, it's always, you know, um, easy and, and, and the times are always great. Yeah, possibly. I mean, the what's behind any great team, any great brand, any great organisation are the people that are driving it, right? So the ability to stay the course, the ability to have resilience, the ability to stay motivated and connected to the vision to get through those tough times, absolutely. Because if you've got people that are chucking in the towel or just not coping with that pressure, it's really hard to kind of take a reset and, um, and power through to the other side. You're obviously building a team at the moment, and I think what you just said there is a string that I'd love to pull on a little bit. Um, what makes a team great? And, 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 and so you talked about, I know for me, there's been periods of times where team has been great, and then there's been others when it's like we are just not functioning right now. Um, what makes a team great? And, and more importantly, um, can you dive into 
strategically and tactically some of the things that you know um, you've either used in the past and and maybe even now to 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 get the team to function on the level that you want it to be look i guess what makes a team great and this may sound cliche but what i've found is what makes a team great firstly is diversity not just diversity in in the, the the common sense but a diversity of thinking diversity of ideas the ability for everyone to feel confident to challenge the status quo and to, to feel confident to put their ideas on the table. There needs to be an aligned vision and everybody needs to be connected to and um, to have buy-in to that vision. Actually, the, the vision actually needs to be a product of the team. Like the team actually needs to have the ability to provide input and their thoughts and to have to actually see it and live it and breathe it um that's that's kind of what that's the essence of of what makes a team great but mm. i mean there's the obvious ones right work ethic 100 percent. you need skill set you need people that are determined motivated and just know exactly what they're there to do and why they're coming to work every day what about the structures so like you know um i think for any business owner um, who hasn't been in a, say, a corporate structure where, and, and they do vary, obviously, but like, what about some of the structures that you put in place now, building you know, a team from the, the ground up you know, on how to get the best out of that team? What does that look like structurally, you know, week to week, day to day? Um, and and, and you know, um, obviously there's building the team, but then there's like, um, the meetings and and so you know uh, how because I know some can be quite rigid, some can be a bit more flexible, some can be a lot more creative, a lot more collaborative. How do you you know get the best out of your team currently, and and what you know that kind of what kind of culture are you trying to build with Reebok currently? Look, we are, we're six months in, right, and we have been building a team over that period of time slowly but surely and some of the people within the team have only literally been there weeks months right so it has been a slow burn structurally and the the, I guess the processes that we're putting in place the good thing about this is that we have the opportunity to do that together Mm -hmm. right and we're actually still working through that so it wouldn't be I would say a perfect science with everything in place at the moment and we're actually going through a planning process currently where everyone we're getting together through little work groups identifying you know what are the things that we've gone through over the last six months what are the challenges what have we actually done really well and what do we need to do to get better in the next six months and beyond and that planning process everyone within the team is going to have an input into that so I guess where that's different to other normal situations where the team would come in and everything's already established and you've got processes and procedures and protocol already established, um, we've actually got the opportunity to build that together and to get the most out of the team when everyone's felt involved in actually putting those things in place. Um, I mean, the results of that are still to be seen, but that's that's the plan anyway. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. I mean... You, you always are going to build, you know, like that, especially when you're building, uh, a, you're trying to build that team over time. Like we're going through a similar thing and it's like, 
it's a constant review of what's not working and how do we improve that, whether that's through tech, whether that's through, you know, um, cleaning up the operations and, and kind of how we do something. I think that's the thing that I find really interesting is like that constant innovation. And a lot of the time it does require collaboration from not and diversity, which was the kind of word you used before of like, we need a lot of varying different points of view here to be able to see the right way to do this. And more importantly, I guess, just a, uh, uh, a version of this process or, or whatever it is that represents progress, right? So um, I, I think that's the interesting thing that I find. And I mean, for you, that's, that's, that would just be a constant at the moment, right? It's, it's constantly reviewing, constantly going, okay, what's not working here? Um, how do we kind of do this a little bit better and, and so on? I think everybody needs to know what best practice looks like. And if we're not currently operating to best practice, is what do we now need to do to make improvements to get there? Mm. And that's, that's a, a philosophy of mine. You asked me before around my philosophies. It is constant improvement. What do we need to do to get better? It might not be a perfect science right now, but as long as you're starting to build that awareness and everybody's clear around maybe shortcomings or areas where there might be gaps, and then we can work together, challenge each other to make those improvements to get to that place. Yeah, it's definitely, and, and, and I guess that would be a, it's a culture thing as well, right? So like building a culture where that is, and that would be one of the roles for yourself as a leader is, you know, instilling that into the people you, you're bringing into the team and, and making sure that, you know, which is always a challenge, you know, it's it's never easy, but it's it's something that you don't really see the benefits from in the short term, right? It's something that you'll, you guys will probably see the benefits of this in two to three years time when, you know, the, the team is, is you know, um, probably got a lot more structure, probably got a lot more um, processes in place and, and so on. Well, culture is an interesting one because there's so many definitions of culture and mine's changing all the time. I mentioned before when I worked for Globe, right, the skateboarding up and down the, the corridors in the building, that to me at that point in time, that was culture. Some people think culture of having, you know, young, fun environment, tunes blasting, people swinging from the chandeliers, that's culture. But my, my, and this has probably come out more so through the recruitment process that I've just gone through in building the, the current team, is that what I think culture really needs to be is uh, an environment where people actually feel safe and motivated to come to work and be their authentic self. Right? And that might sound obvious, but if you getting out of bed every day and you just can't wait to get to work and your personality can come out with all of its nuances and people really embrace you for that then that's when you're motivated to do your best work that that's the string i really want to pull on because i think that's the challenge that every leader faces you know how do you create an environment where people feel like they're valued they feel comfortable and more importantly, they love to come to work. And and I'd love for you to touch on the different elements to that, if you can. You know, like what? How do? You, how are you doing that right now? What is, from your perspective? You know, what? It, like, because obviously it's something that you're focusing on dramatically at the moment. Yep. How does that? How? How? Do, like, you know, what are your philosophies on that, and how are you going about that? Look, I think 
staying connected. Everybody needs to be connected and myself as a leader, I think it's really important to be as connected as I can be to everyone within the team. So people need to feel heard. They need to feel that their their ideas are being listened to. They need to see that the work that they're doing is actually having an impact on the overall situation. So the team that I run, I, I want everyone to be involved. We get everyone involved. People actually bring ideas, new reports, new ways of working, and we really want to embrace that so every, every person actually feels that they're making a real impact. So like I said, it's been six months and the team are, are starting to, to fall into place, but I'm constantly looking at ways to, to sort of get everybody involved and trying to have fun while we're doing it. Right? You need to have laughter. You need to have fun within the team environment because it can, things can get pretty stressful at times, especially when you're working through challenges. But if you can brush that off and at the end of the day you can laugh about it, I think that's really important. Yeah, I think that's the most difficult part is like we talked about, uh, you know, how do we create this, this environment? And yes, we do want it to be fun and we do want to collaborate and we do want to, you know, like we do want those relationships to be all rosy, but then there's the other side of uh, the, the caper, which is performance, which sometimes isn't as, you know, it, sometimes it's not roses, you know, and, and so on. How do you manage between those two sides of the fence, you know, like, and how are you thinking about it, obviously building a new team? Is is it, uh, and what, maybe what are some strategies that you use to keep performance up here? Because like you said, you, you said before, which I really love was like culture, and, and yes, culture can be many different things and it's individual to each individual brand. Um, but you do have to manage a certain level of performance. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I'd love for you to touch on that and how do you kind of, how do you manage the, the, the dichotomy of those two things? Because sometimes they can oppose. Look, at the moment, performance within the team is incredibly high. Like, I've gone through a recruitment process over the last six months where on day one, I walked through the door as the only employee and then had to go about building a team, which will be 14, right? So there's a lot of recruitment that goes on there. Look, thankfully, based on the strength and the heat of the brand, we've had a lot of interests and there was almost too much. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, it the rec recruitment can be quite difficult, but we've had some really great people come through. So I feel I've recruited, and I tell them this all the time, publicly, and probably inflate their heads a little bit too much, <laughs> but yeah. I honestly believe I've got some of the best people in my team that the, that the market and the industry has to offer. So the work ethic, the determination to get it done, there's no issues there, and the brand's actually performing incredibly well. So I haven't been in a position up until this point to have to look at, low performance, high performance, and then drive people to turn from potentially something that needs to be looked at to drive that, that performance. Yeah, there's a good point there, though, I think, in, in, in bringing the right talent, though, you know, into, yeah. your, into, your, into your business or, you know, into your brand. What does that look like for you guys? Like, what, what do you look for when, you, when, when someone's sitting in front of you and you, you are recruiting? What are some of the characteristics you look at in people? Um, and, and how do you know if someone is the right person? Yeah, look, it's a good question. And we've been very fortunate 
we've had like a good good problems where we've had too many people. We've recruited for many roles where you know we've down to two people and we just can't separate them. Um, I actually conduct a pretty thorough recruitment process. Uh, the the interview process itself can be quite rigorous, and once we get down to uh, a, a talent pool that we we definitely want to explore further, there'll be case studies, exercises, mm. which tests knowledge of market, knowledge of consumer, creativity when we're recruiting for marketing roles. If we're recruiting for a sales role, let's test their their competencies with interpretation of data, strategy building. So it depends on the type of role that we're recruiting for, but we definitely put them through their paces. But we've um, thankfully found some amazing people that are doing exceptionally well. So with that process, it, it sounds like it's, you know, and I think it's good because I think hiring is, 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 I mean, it can make or break a business, right? And, and finding the right talent. So. Yeah. The interview process is very much. What What are you looking for in that kind of part of the the process? You know, like um, is that more characteristics of the person? You know, attitude, the way they communicate. Is it more around that? And then, the second kind of side of it is once you you find out if hey this is the person with the right attitude, is it okay? Now we want to test for their skills and and how rigorous are those tests? Because I feel like that's a you know, are you really putting them through the, their paces and saying well you know you really have to prove yourself to get this role? If you asked some of the people within my team that have gone through that process, they would say absolutely yes. <laughs> yeah. We're putting them through their paces and really testing them. Look, it's you don't make decisions for recruitment simply based on data. You don't make decisions simply based on gut. Um, but it's a it would definitely be a combination of the two. But one of the most important things that you're looking for throughout that process is how they will fit culturally within the team. Mm. So it's there's it's a multi-pronged approach, but you can have someone that's absolutely got the most amazing skills but might not be a cultural fit for the for the team that we've actually built and that mean that might mean that they might not be suitable, the right person that we're looking for. That's such a great point, like uh, understanding your culture, understanding the person you're bringing in. I know I've made that mistake before and it, it is very costly, um, but I've also, when you bring someone in who is a great cultural fit, wow, does it make life so much easier and, and more importantly, I think, I think that's a great point as what you were saying before around how you build team and, and the idea being that how you be, build culture is probably by bringing people in that actually fit the culture um, and, and that can become really really powerful as time goes by so I think I mean it's probably a testament to what you're going through right now and 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 um you know the the, the uh, I guess the way that you're trying to build a great team which the brand would demand you know there's nothing less that is accepted I would assume I've loved the process yeah like I've never recruited on this type of scale before so actually going going through it, um, putting together case studies for marketing roles, for sales roles, for merchandise roles, has been um, quite a laborious process. But the reward has been the quality of what these candidates have actually brought to the table. And instantly, you know, once they're, they've gone and they've put the work in and then they deliver that case study and the work that they've put in and you can just, you can tell straight away. Once you get to that point, it becomes pretty obvious 
Yeah, I love that. I think I think it's always interesting, like, I mean, the the case study side of it obviously can be quite rigorous on, on the company's end, but it's, I mean, it's, it's a process you definitely want to go through. Yeah, definitely. Because having the right people um, versus the wrong people for the company, and it's just for the company, doesn't mean that, you know, like there's there's good fits and then there's bad fits, but I think that's a great point um, and something that is highly valuable. Look, some people can talk the talk and they can sell themselves yeah, exactly, incredibly yeah. well. So if you don't go through that process, you run the risk of making a decision based on gut feel and that can actually be the wrong choice or if, you, if you're you're only halfway there yeah i've actually seen it before where a person's been hired on gut and it just hasn't really worked out so actually taking the extra time to go through that process um, turning the screws a little bit throughout the process at the end of the day an interview is it's a test right you don't really need to get everything right but it really shows how people respond to pressure and perform under that yeah, I think that's a good point. Like you do want pressure, right? And 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 you do want to see how people, you know, perform under pressure because really, I mean, especially in a startup and, and a new business, it's basically that, that 24-7. So it's a great point. Mate, we're going to dive into the last section of the podcast, which is quick fire. Um, so you've listened to some episodes. I always preface this, but I think you know what's going on. Um, the first question is, what's one piece of advice for your younger self? Yeah, love this question. And look, when I look back on my career, some of the biggest growth moments have come through the most challenging times. So whether it's a mentor putting me through, uh, putting me way outside my comfort zone, whether it's challenging times in business where things just aren't going well and you really need to raise to that next level. And through those times come extreme stress. And in the moment, it can be quite quite painful and quite, and quite difficult. So um, at the time, I didn't recognize them as growth moments, but as I reflect on my career and I look back on that, absolutely, I've come out the other side so much better so i guess if i was to sum that up into a piece of advice i would say that growth hurts right (laughs) that's the truth if i've ever heard it but staying stagnant can hurt more so stay the course and um you'll get through it and come out better on the other side it's almost like and i'd love to get your opinion on this but like i think i think what helps you progress as you go through your career and I know this is for me I'm still very young and you know compared to some you know lack experience but I think you start to get better at say it's almost like the communication to yourself over time like when you face challenges you just get better at managing those and managing pressure and realizing these growth moments not all the time but sometimes in real time I saw a a meme on Instagram or something the other day and it was like, you have survived 100% of your bad days. And I think that really rings true. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the the saying of it's never as bad or as good as it seems is is very much something that I use personally, just like, you know, in your good times. um, I think one of the hardest things to do is um, not fall over running downhill, right? So when times are good, 
often that's when you make your biggest mistakes and when times are bad I think it's it's very much the same is that you know it's never really as bad as what it seems and although I wish you know in times I would recognize that a little bit more it's definitely something that you can use in 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 retrospect what advice would you give to someone who's just starting a business Starting a business. Well, I haven't started my own business, so I probably wouldn't be the most qualified to give that advice. But maybe starting out in a in a role or a pathway that I have taken, it would be, I guess, tying back to what I was saying before, find mentors. Mm-hmm. That, for me, has been the absolute number one and has, has allowed me to, to grow the way that I have. And look, if you're not in a position to find someone that could be that absolute mentor to you and that that kind of north star you can find mentors or nuggets of wisdom in anyone really if you look and listen hard enough so i would just be giving the advice just to to learn from from people around you because you definitely don't know it all and even when you get to my position i don't know it all I'm learning so much every day around leadership, business, how to be a dad, Mm. right? So it's just, there's so much wisdom out there and I just, the advice that I would give would be to go and find it. And, and you know, I think it's a great point because not all mentors, like you can definitely pay for some mentors and that's that's one avenue, but most of the time, and I'm, this is only something I've probably realized in the last few years is most really successful people love giving back to someone who's hungry and is willing to listen you know um so uh taking a piece of advice going away executing it and then coming back and showing the results of that advice and saying thank you more often than not will open another piece of advice uh and they'll be more and and again i think it's that idea that you don't have to pay for that like there's people out there that are willing to give advice and and are willing to help um and you know there's people that aren't but but there are people out there and i think that's a great piece of advice because um you can learn a lot from those people definitely okay so what's what's the most important trait that a leader must have for success and why look this um if you had asked me 12 months ago it would have been a very different answer and i think 12 months ago my perspective on that would be strong commercial literacy there would be more sort of business Mm. type um, qualities or traits but what I've learned in the last six months is that people need to come first so the most important trait um, would be that you need to have your teams back and they need to know that right you might back them publicly to their face sure there might be some critical conversations that you need to have with people from time to time but if they feel confident that their leader absolutely has them has their confidence then i would say that would be the number one i'd say also there'd be another one which would be you need to you need to have an aura where you can remain calm amongst the chaos oh god yeah so there's always going to be you know there's that analogy of the duck on the pond just super calm up up above the surface but furiously paddling underneath that um, that's going to happen all the time but 
as long as you can kind of keep composed and, and consistently under pressure, I think that's that's really important. And I'm still learning that as well. Yeah, of course. I think um, your staff are always probably going to reflect your attitude and how you deal with things. You know, if you're stressed, they're going to be stressed. If yep. you're uh, upbeat and think you can get through, they'll probably follow you in battle type things. So I think it's it's definitely a great point. And I mean, me being in the business we are now, it's something I'm very much learning as well is that you can't, you just can't carry your problems on your shoulders for everybody to see a lot of the time and it's something that you have to take care of so I think that's really sound advice well, body language is contagious yeah yeah um what was the other one sorry the, the second one that was the second one the first one sorry uh the first one would be you've got to you've got to have your teams back yeah so that was uh, I'd love for you to talk about that you know um, not in depth but just like what does that look like you know because I think that's a really important one because it kind of comes back to that dichotomy I was saying before between performance um, and culture and the idea that when you have like I often think about it's funny I, I reflect on like the years I played footy um, as a young we had a really successful team but the idea that you can have really strong conversations when there's almost that really strong bond and you feel like, okay, well, I, I trust this person so we can have this and we can walk, we can have this really serious conversation. We can walk away and we're going to be okay. It doesn't change the way we view each other. It doesn't change our relationship. Like I guess you're using a football analogy, right? And on the footy field, you need to know that if something happens and push comes to shove, maybe a fight breaks out or something, you need to know that your teammate or your captain's going to be the first one there. So in this type of environment, under all the pressure when people are stressed out and workload seems to be stretching everyone's bandwidth, I guess your team really needs to know that you're aware of what's going on. You can read and be able to identify when they might be struggling, but you can definitely be there to support them through through anything like that. Mm, it's a great point. I love it. I think those two answers, is, I think they're probably one, some of the best answers I've heard on that question. Just I think they're, I mean, again, like I take lessons still to this day from that period of time because, um, I, I mean, I, I know it sounds funny, but I think those two things is what I see ring true across sports teams. You know, you can look at any sports team and you can look at a if there's you know a successful sports team and you can look at their leader um and and you know like jordan is an example you know watching um the last dance you know he was so uh hard on his team um but you know they also knew that if if push come to shove he'd be first there as, as well which i think is great um ash mate i want to say a massive thank you to you um what a journey you're, you're just starting out on and what a journey you've been on. Um, I wish you nothing but success moving forward. I think um, what an achievement, you know, first of all. But second of all, it's obviously based on our conversations today. It's It's been a, a long time coming and a lot of work's gone into it. I'd love for you to give um, just, you know, I guess the, the listeners, where can they find you? I know you're on, on LinkedIn, um, but... More importantly, like if they, if I know a lot of people do have questions and so on, where can they find you? LinkedIn would be the best place. Uh, my Instagram isn't really a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. more like my, my social media is pretty kind of private and I just kind of, you know, my little sneaker collection on Instagram and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, Facebook generally just use for family purposes and stuff like that. But yeah, absolutely. LinkedIn is the, is the new 
social media platform of today, right? So it's great, isn't it? It's uh, I'm loving it at the moment. If we could just put my LinkedIn details in the show notes, that'd be great. Yeah, beautiful. And Reebok, let's keep an eye on on the Absolutely. next moves. Definitely, big things happening, mate. Very excited. Very excited. Um, no, but again, once again, thank you so much. Um, a lot of wisdom, a lot of knowledge. Um, again, I could sit here and talk to you all day. I think that's. I think you know we were talking before, but. Like you said, um, there's a lot of people, uh, like well, I, I was mentioning it to you, but I think you're an epitome of someone who's got a lot of experience, a lot of wisdom when it comes to business, and that's only going to continue. But, um, you know, you're not necessarily going to be the, the person on Instagram with 100,000 followers. And that's really what we want to do with this show now is, is unpack the, the minds and, and the journeys of, of successful leaders. And, and so, very again, congratulations. Appreciate it. No, I had a really great time. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, Donnie, thanks for putting this together, um, the, the King, uh, and to our listeners, um, you know, a, again, we're, we're growing and, and that's all we can ask for. Without you guys, we don't get to talk to amazing people like Ash. So thank you so much for the support um, and, and we'll keep keeping on and uh, we'll see you next week. 